Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I hope everybody's having a good day, a good afternoon, a good evening, a good whatever the fuck the time you're listening to this at. It's been a week since we last spoke, of course, and something I like to do, you know, every so often is kind of just reflect back and just think about life, right? Very metaphysical, very fucking philosophical of me to sit down and think about stuff that's happened to me in the past. And this one thing that I couldn't not think about was my time in college, my very limited time in college. So back when I was 17 years old, I was young, I was fucking spry, I had significantly less hair on my head and significantly less hair on my face as well. Freshly graduated from high school, I had a handful of colleges that I could have picked from. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of these colleges, but some of them were local, some of them not so local as in out of state or whatever, some of them offering scholarships to me for whatever reason, because I was not the brightest kid in school. I skated by on just like averages of 83, 85, stuff like that. And I wanted to go to school to be an architect. Why? I'm, I don't know. I thought architecture was cool as fuck, and I still think it's cool as fuck. Just the act of being able to design and create something is super cool to me. One thing, though, that I quickly found out was that if you're not strong in math and science, as I am not, you're not going to succeed as an architect. At least I don't. At least I don't think so, unless, you know, someone out there who's actually in the field can tell me like, hey, no, nah, we just put everything into the computers or let the fucking engineers handle all that. But at any rate, I enroll in this state school, this state university of New York as an architecture student. And I'm super excited to go to college for whatever reason. Of course, it's easy to say for whatever reason now, just because I don't really, I guess I'm one of those people who just the environment of like sitting down in a lecture and just vibing and reading from a textbook didn't really do it for me. I'm much more of like a hands-on type learner. Like when I took physics, for example, I took physics one and I fucking failed horrifically. I think I got like a 57 in that class. The lecture part of the class was cool, but I mean, don't no, hold on. I got it backwards. The lecture part of the class, I really struggled in, but the labs, when you would team up with people in your class and just go out and run experiments, whether it be fucking gravity or whatever the fuck kind of experiments us amateur physicists were running those were cool because like you were actually out doing something practical you weren't just sitting down and listening to the theory of anything um quick disclaimer i'm not going i don't feel like this should be interpreted as slander of anything theoretical this was just my this is just my view theory for a lot of things is important and you should study it if it's something that you want to succeed in but at least for me the theory of physics I didn't really get down with. And this was actually in my, I think my second or third semester of college. Um, but at any rate, for one of the main architectural classes, for anyone who doesn't know, the like 101, 102, 103 courses, they're all just teaching you about shapes, right? Isosceles triangles, scalene triangles, orthopedic triangles, fucking cubes, spheres, all this shit. And there was this one professor whom I had. He was this older gentleman. That's 
relative to the story, not in because he's old, but what do old college professors have? If you said tenure, you would be correct. A lot of older college professors that have been at a certain school for a while can basically get away with doing whatever the fuck they want. It's like senioritis that you get paid for. Now, this gentleman, to my knowledge, I don't believe he was a full-time professor. Um, He was an architect, a a full-time architect who was an adjunct professor. So I don't know if he was teaching for the joy of helping these students or just, you know, to get the extra 20 grand or whatever it was, because contrasting him to some of the other professors I had, this guy just fucking was a horrible teacher. He had no interest in the students. His whole fucking lecture was, okay, take the textbook out and read this chapter. And we would sit in silence for 75 minutes reading this fucking chapter. But that wasn't even the worst part. There was this one day when we're learning about these shapes, these different kinds of fucking 3D manifestations or whatever. And this was all stuff that a lot of us had learned in high school. One thing I didn't realize was that the first semester of college, was basically just an extension of your senior year of high school. Um, at least for me, I don't know if that's like a like widely noticed thing. Like I just felt like I was learning a lot of the stuff that I had already learned. Like I know I went to a program during high school where I got much more architectural related training than most kids. Like I for the first when I was a junior, it was the first half of my school day. And then I was a senior it was the second half of my school day. So I'm going to a different school to basically take two and a half, three hours of architectural drafting classes. And it was a lot of fun. I succeeded in it. I won a couple competitions, which was cool. I placed third in um, like the Long Island regional competition for drafting, which was super cool. Um, not really relevant right now, but I still have the trophy somewhere. I guess it'll be cool to fucking... Show my kids like, hey, look, your dad was once a fucking guy who could press buttons really well on the computer and bake these, you know, really mediocre buildings. They're like, oh, cool. That's fucking awesome. Not really. Just, you know, because your kids like to humor you and shit. But getting back to this professor, I lost my fucking train of thought. So we were learning again about these different kinds of shapes. And this guy is talking. And he goes, okay, so when you have these two shapes together and they cross, it looks like an optical collusion. I'm like, hold on. There is no way this man just said optical collusion, right? I must have just misheard him or he stumbled over his words. He continues talking about it. And I forgot if it was later in the class or if it was a subsequent class. But again, he comes out and says optical collusion. I'm like, dog, what the fuck is an optical collusion? Are these shapes running for political office and having secret meetings with fucking Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin? Bro, what the fuck is an optical collusion? Are your eyes, like, talking to one another? Like, hey, we're going to purposely send the wrong signals to the brain. So that way, this fucking dumbass can see something that doesn't really exist. This man called... Oh my God. Like I was so fucking flabbergasted. And it was from that point forward, I was like, bro, 
What the fuck am I doing here? What the fuck am I doing here? It, of course, wasn't just that. It was a myriad of things, mainly my horrific performance in pretty much every class except for English, which is why I pursued writing for a little bit. Um, didn't pan out, but I guess that's my fault of my own, and that's why I'm here with you guys today. But the fucking optical collusion-ass bullshit was just like, it made me think, does this man who's in his 60s, probably mid-60s, late-60s, has this man gone his whole life thinking that the words optical illusion were one word and said optical collusion? Was this, like, taught in school where optical illusions don't exist? It's optical collusions? Am I bugging? Did I get a fucking shitty public school education? Do I have, like, one fucking brain cell? For not understanding that optical collusion is the word and not optical illusion. Because illusion, illusion, and collusion are two totally different words with two totally different meanings. I don't see how the word collusion could follow the word optical and make sense. Does anyone else? Am I, am I freaking the fuck out here? And that just like, it unearthed all of these memories that I didn't even really want to remember. Like... Bro, I had such a fucking horrific time in this man's class. Like, we would have him as a professor for like two and a half hour lab classes, right? And this man would say like seven words. And the ultimate kicker was we weren't allowed to use the bathroom during his class. We had to wait for the breaks to use them. And I'm like, bro... What the fuck kind of indentured servitude ass shit is this? We aren't allowed to go to the bathroom during your fucking class? What, like, what type of god are you where you have control over my bladder? Like, bitch, I'm paying to be here. If I want to use the bathroom 13 times, I'm going to use the fucking bathroom 13 times. That was another wild thing. But that wasn't as funny as the optical collusion shit. Whenever he would fucking say that word, everybody in the class, and there were like 30 of us, we would all just be fucking snickering to one another. Like, there, there's no fucking way. It's either this guy purposely was fucking up the word just to see if anyone would call him out on it, or he just had no fucking idea. And he's lived his whole ass life thinking that optical illusions are optical collusions bro like what there was this there was another time that i was in college this was a different professor this professor was fucking he was this guy was way older right had to be in his like 80s early 90s like this fool was ancient and to his credit this dude was a very nice guy a very jovial guy a very you know bubbly fellow but the only thing was he was so fucking old that he just couldn't really teach right and see this is why i was able to recognize that the first professor i had who i was just talking about just fucking had this immense disdain for students for whatever reason because every other professor i had even though i hated the institution i was attending the teachers there 
at least all of the ones I had, except for that one dude, were phenomenal. All of them were super nice. I had these two English teachers who I don't think I will ever forget. One of them was this older woman who it was actually her last um, year teaching. And she was just this ball of warmth. She was this little old lady who every day came into class, super energetic, was very excited for us to analyze these fucking short stories that she picked out for us in the textbook. And I think that she liked me as a student. She complimented, uh, I think, pretty much every paper I wrote. Casual flex incoming. But she told me that I was a phenomenal writer. And she was actually a former journalist herself, which I thought was kind of cool because that was something that I was thinking about, like, hey, this architecture shit might not be working out so maybe journalism is a is a field but that has not panned out for me i never really um i never really thought about it especially with how the journalism climate has changed over the last four five six years or so it's not something that i really want to get involved with but she was a lovely lady my other english teacher that i had was also a phenomenal teacher cared so much about all of her students and i don't know if it's because it was her first year as a professor, so she was trying to make a good impression on everybody, but I know that for damn sure when she handed out those little surveys at the end of the semester where it's like, oh, please, you know, write my performance, I got to turn it into the chair, I made sure to write this woman the most fucking glowing review I've ever written. If I could have given her six stars, I would have, because she was just a fantastic professor. But now getting back to this older guy. So this was a class called statics, and for anyone who doesn't know, statics is the study of forces and how they interact with one another. For the program that I was attending, it was more engineering-based than it was art-based. Now, looking back on it, I think I fucked up in choosing this school over the artsy school because you can get better at art. Like, I've seen it with myself as, you know, someone who plays an instrument. I've gotten better over the last year as someone who, you know, writes and creates stuff like this. I feel like I've improved over the last couple of years or so. You can become a better artist. I don't necessarily know if you can become a better mathematician or someone who's just better in physics. I think, and I could be wrong, I think that people can succeed or can see more progress as an artist because it's a different way that the brain works. It's the creative process. It's not so rigorous. And I could be entirely wrong. Maybe this is just anecdotal. And if it is anecdotal, I just remember that I am not a scientist. I'm none of that bullshit. Do not listen to me. I'm just doing this for my own entertainment as a way to vent. But I just, even when I was in high school, it took so much fucking work for me to become good at math. I was in, back when I was in high school, they had double period math classes for all of the kids that were not good in math. I was in double period math for every fucking semester of high school. All four years, I was in double period math just because I couldn't fucking, I just like, I didn't get it. And I mean, obviously I got it, but that was probably more so the work of the teachers who were kind of like pushing me 
along and I really wasn't that motivated to do well in math. You know, as my mom would say, it's like, you just don't apply yourself. And I'm like, I get that, but physics is fucking hard. And I could see why not a lot of people become engineers or mechanical engineers, at least like a lot of the people who aren't crazy smart. Like I have friends who are engineers and they're all fucking brilliant. Like they just have a different level of intelligence compared to me. I don't want to say they're, I'd say we're like both intelligent. We have like the same level of intelligence in just different ways. Like their brain just operates different. And I I don't know if that's like the whole left-handed, right-handed debate where right-handed people are better in math and science and left-handed people are more creative because it's how the fucking wires crisscross in your brain. If so, I mean, it makes sense because I'm definitely stronger in classes like English than I am in science, like physics and calculus. My grades prove that. My grades all throughout high school prove that as well. But I want to get back to this fucking, this, this one fucking guy. He was teaching statics, statics being how forces work alongside one another. This class was so fucking hard. And this was the breaking point for me. This is like, I can't, I, I physically do not have the mental capacity to do this at this point. I guess it was just kind of a slap in the face. Like, hey, this, is, this isn't really all it's cracked up to be. Like, it's cool being able to design buildings and stuff. But, you know, you might not ever reach that point. And I'm like, okay, I kind of just went to grips with that. So I stayed in the class. I didn't withdraw because I had already withdrawn from another class. And I needed to stay full time at least until I stopped going, just so my parents didn't have to pay all this crazy money out of pocket. The final comes for statics, the final, the midterm, whatever the fuck it was. (laughs) And to this day, my parents don't know this. And I don't know if they'll ever, I don't know if they'll listen to this and figure it out, but I go to the class and there was this weird thing where like, if you had already passed the class, you didn't have to take the final And I had like a 45 average in the class. So I either don't take the final and fail or I take the final. And the only way I pass is if I get a hundred. Now the final was, the final was three fucking questions, three super intense physics problems that I sat down at the desk. It was me and two other people in this class. I sat down, looked at the first question and I said, uh, professor, I'm going to go. I can't do this. You can fail me. I'm going to (laughs) go. And I just fucking left. And of course, I couldn't go home right away because my parents would be like, wow, you finished that fucking quick. So I just drove around the campus for like an hour just to make it seem like I fucking did something. But that was like, that was when I was really set on, okay, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. And those are two of the things that really stand out to me during my college experience. Just a very fucking horrible time for me. But the optical collusion shit was just, that was a chef's kiss. That was my finest hour listening to this man talk about fucking optical collusions. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, I kind of just needed to kill 20 minutes because there was no NBA basketball from, I think it was Friday until, I think, Wednesday is when all the games come back on. Even then, it's only two games. It's Dallas and the Spurs, and I think Portland and the Jazz. Uh, don't quote me on that game. I know Mavs, the Mavs and Spurs are definitely playing, but 
With that, there hasn't been a lot going on. All this talk was about All-Star Weekend, and you're going to ask me if I watched it. I'm going to tell you, no, I fucking didn't, because I just, I have no interest in All-Star Weekend anymore. I just, it's not worth it, especially this year, because I didn't even feel that the NBA should have had a fucking All-Star game, and they decide otherwise. They need to have an All-Star game for whatever reason they got to do the whole fucking song and dance the dunk contest the skills contest the three-point contest like all of it was unnecessary and i wholly believed that it was unnecessary and i still just cannot understand why the fuck they'd want to do it if they're trying to be like oh well it's because we wanted to donate all of this money to hbcus and all these these various charities bro you can fucking do that without having an all-star game because the All-Star Game doesn't bring in any money. The television deals are created during the off-season, and TNT already paid for the rights to broadcast all of that. You're not making any money on that night physically. Because as far as, as, far as I remember, there were no fans in the arena. The mayor of Atlanta was like, hey, do not come here to party. We do not agree with the NBA's position on this. I mean, we're glad that they're here doing this for the city of Atlanta, but please do not go out of your way to come here and risk like a fucking super spreader event. It wasn't worth it. So what did I do? I fucking booted up the old Xbox and I dropped into for dance with the boys. I missed the dunk contest, which I heard was terrible, bro. We got to talk about the dunk contest real quick. I don't watch any of it, but congrats to Anthony Simons for bringing home the trophy. You know, young man has the potential to be a good player. and He's got something to put in his trophy case. I'm happy for him. Um, but the dunk contest just has to go, man. Like, I know it's tradition at this point, but, you know, we really have seen it all. We've seen everything we're going to see. When you think about 2000 with Vince Carter, when you think about fucking, what was it, 1988 with Jordan and Dominique, when you think about, I think, uh, 2016 or 2015 with Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, dog, we've seen all of it. We saw Gerald Green blow up the cupcake on the rim. We saw Harrison Barnes and Ben McLemore, and I think it was Terrence Ross put on this fucking abysmal show a couple years ago. Like, we've seen it all. We've seen the good. We've seen the great. We've seen the bad. And we've seen the ugly more times than we've seen everything else. Like, I think the dunk contest, just, I think it's time to stop the event. If, if I were the NBA... I would focus on making the three-point shootout the premier event because it takes up the most time. And I would argue it's the most fun to watch. It's very similar to baseball's home run derby where you just get, you know, a bunch of these fucking humongous guys, see how far they can hit the baseball. With the three-point contest, you get the league's sharpest shooters, although not this year because Joe Harris was not invited. And congrats to Steph Curry on his victory. But I think it plays out very differently. If Joe Harris is here. Also, nobody healed. That was a little fucking weird. I saw this crazy stat where it was like, yo, Julius Randle is shooting better than five of the six contestants in the three-point shootout. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on at the league office? Are they okay? It seems like this whole All-Star Sunday shit was rushed. And I, they would have just been better off not having the fucking festivities. Bro, it's COVID. It's COVID season. No one's going to be mad that there's no All-Star game. 
the majority of the people who watch it fucking hate it anyway. And maybe they're being a little a little over dramatic. I think that's very possible with some people, but like folks just don't care about all-star games. No one cares about the fucking Pro Bowl. The NFL is the biggest sport in the country. And people could literally give less of a fuck about the Pro Bowl. Like we'd be like more people have fun watching the puppy bowl than the Pro Bowl. Why? Because it's the same thing that happens with the NBA. You have the best players in the world who are honored to be all-stars. I will not argue that. It's a great honor for players just to be recognized for their, you know, competency and their, you know, their excellence on the basketball court. But the game itself is really a chore because you got to go out there and just like pretend. I mean, it's cool that, you know, they fuck around and they have some fun and they kind of just, you know, cruise the first three quarters, you know, put up these crazy shots, do a lot of these crazy dribbling combos and, you know, have some of these ridiculous dunks but like the game the game's a gimmick at this point the dunk contest is a gimmick i think the best alternative is to either scrap the dunk contest or bring in actual professional dunkers who do this shit for a living who can really show us some shit that we haven't seen before but even then like we've seen it all on social media like there are only so many dunks that you can do and there's this one idea that the nba ice I know that I have a super small platform, but Adam Silver, if you somehow managed to hear this, you should please, please consider having some sort of like king on king of the court bracket or like a three on three bracket where you have the 24 all stars that you select, put them in eight teams at three. You could probably do something like two guards or you could do a guard, a wing and a front court player or two guards and a front court two back court players one front court, front court player and just have a three on three tournament games to 11 ones and twos they'll be over quick i assure you they'll be over super quick and then you could split the court and have two games going at once and then figure it'll take about 90 minutes two hours and then it's done it's something new it's fresh it's a different take on the all-star game and if you really wanted to have your cake and eat it too you could do the king of the court with some of the guys who maybe missed the cutoff. Think about folks like um, Mike Conley. I know he was added later. Devin Booker would be a perfect fit if he weren't an all-star this year, which he wasn't until he replaced Anthony Davis. Um, Brandon Ingram, you know, folks like that. Jalen Brown. Oh, no, Jalen Brown made it. Uh, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. But uh, CJ McCollum, even though he was hurt, like guys who just missed the cutoff for the all-star game, could do that little one-on-one tournament and they could be involved in everything. Sure, they won't have the recognition of being an all-star, but they'll at least get to participate in something. And it's something that's different. And I think that'd be like a super cool take on everything. Because again, the all-star game, it's played out, it's gimmicky. No one really like watches it like that. And I don't I don't blame them because it's really doesn't bring anything of value to a lot of people. Like I I haven't really, I haven't sat down to watch a full All-Star game in um, probably like four years. Whenever Kobe's last All-Star game appearance was, that was the only one that I watched. And well, for obvious reasons, you know, Kobe's last, um, Kobe's last hurrah before ultimately calling it quits. Like, I just felt you were obligated to watch that. And I'll probably do the same when LeBron retires, when Steph retires, you know, when like the goats start, you know, 
calling it quits on their playing days. But other than that, there's really no other reason to watch. So as a result, I have no more commentary on what happened. Congrats to all the winners, though. Congrats to Team LeBron, I guess. Congrats to Giannis for winning the All-Star Game MVP. Congrats to DeMontis Sabonis for winning the skills competition. Uh, again, congrats to Anthony Simons and congrats to Steph Curry. Now, the biggest news of the weekend, if I would argue, is that Blake Griffin, the once high-flying, rim-rocking, power forward in Lob City, is coming to Brooklyn after a buyout from the Detroit Pistons. Detroit said, hey, get the fuck out. Blake Griffin, no, Blake Griffin probably said, hey, I want to get the fuck out of here. Detroit's like, okay, perfect. They agree to a buyout. Blake Griffin hits waivers and almost immediately decides he wants to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, people are very, um, I don't know if they're actually upset about this because after all, Blake Griffin is joining on the veteran minimum, but people are acting like this is the Blake Griffin from a couple years ago when like he made the all-star game in 2018-19 averaging damn near 25 points eight rebounds and five assists like folks that is that Blake Griffin will probably not be making an appearance anytime soon this season in 20 games with the Pistons 12 points five rebounds four assists he's shooting 36 and a half percent from the field I know that the Pistons are fucking trash they are doo-doo they are poo-poo caca they are everything they are they are anything that's pertinent to fecal matter but Blake Griffin is not exactly the player that he once was now to understand Blake Griffin you're talking about one of the most um fascinating development stories in in the history of the NBA I'd argue that he's got a fucking trajectory that not many people have rivaled. I mean, someone who I think of right off the bat, Jason Kidd. You have a guy who pretty much spends the first 80% of his career being horrific from the three-point line. And then Jason Kidd joins the Knicks. He's like 38 years old. And all of a sudden, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So Blake Griffin comes to the Clippers from Oklahoma. And he makes national headlines because he's just so fucking athletic. He's so big. He's so strong. He's so bouncy. And he is just literally flying over everybody. The highlights that this man produced with Chris Paul on the Clippers are some of the most entertaining, some of the most violent. Like, I mean, I still remember him fucking destroying Kendrick Perkins. He straight up violated Kendrick Perkins uh, back in 2014 or so. Phenomenal dunk. So, unfortunately... Blake Griffin has dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career. He missed his first season with a knee injury, and he's kind of just been battling that ever since. Although, weirdly enough, after the knee injury, he played 82 games the following year, a full 66 in the lockout shortened season, and then he only missed four combined games between 2012 and 20, or 2013 and 2014. After that, it really got rough for Blake, and it was clear that his athletic prowess was not really doing anything good for his joints. And, you know, his knees started to fall apart. His ankles, everything was just not working for him. So what does Blake Griffin do? He's like, okay, well, I really, if I'm not going to be a high flyer, 
I had to think of other ways to impact the offense. So this man turns into, I shit you not, a point center. He goes from catching lobs to throwing them. In 2015, averaged 5.3 assists. And since then, he's consistently been around, you know, five, five and a half, six assists a night, which is fucking bananas to think about how, just think about how difficult it is to be an above average passer in the NBA. And for someone to do it who really didn't even show signs of it throughout his first couple seasons, it, it really is just mind-blowing. Now, what does Blake Griffin mean for the Brooklyn Nets? Saw people talking about this on you know ESPN, Twitter, other various forums. And it's kind of a mixed bag because you don't know what type of Blake Griffin you're going to get. Are you going to get this Blake Griffin, who is not producing very efficiently, doesn't really have any redeeming qualities at this point. I was looking at his synergy numbers earlier, and the best he's performing is on post-ups. I think he's um, above average in like the 55th percentile or something. Now, this is very interesting because the Brooklyn Nets, what do they have? They've got hella guards and hella wings. The best players on the team are Kyrie, KD, James Harden, and Joe Harris. You got four wing players. Also got Bruce Brown. You got TLC. You got Tyler Johnson. More guards, more wings. Got DeAndre Jordan, who is pretty much the go-to center at this point, regardless of whether you like it or not. He does have more good days than bad days, but is inconsistent at times. And then behind him, you got Nick Claxton, who is still trying to get acclimated to the NBA. As spectacular as he's been over the last couple of weeks, and he has been spectacular, um, his conditioning is still kind of an issue. Um, you don't know if he's also going to be able to handle being on the court in clutch time just yet, which that might even might not even be necessary when KD comes back and if he's playing the five. So Blake Griffin, if nothing else, just is another body to have on the court. Offensively, he can play in the post, which is great because the Nets really don't have an interior presence, like someone who you can drop the ball down to and just be like, hey, get me a bucket. I mean, James Harden can do it, but he's not, he's still like 6'5". He's still undersized, at least when it comes to playing in that area. I don't know how effective Blake Griffin is going to be while doing it. Definitely not somebody that you can feed consistently. Um, there's also him being able to play in transition. Blake Griffin does have a good handle on the ball. He can pass. He can make plays. I don't think that these most recent seasons in Detroit are indicative of his current skill level because for him to drop off so drastically in two years while he's not playing that many minutes hasn't really been healthy and dude again the Pistons just like have not been good they're just like I don't what the fuck is Dwayne Casey doing down there I I just I have no idea it's so Bizarre to me. And then, like, we'll use Bruce Brown, for example, who also came over from the Pistons, who is averaging the same amount of points this season as he was last season, but is shooting 16 percentage points higher, just about. So, I don't know. We got to see what happens. Maybe Steve Nash does this magical treatment with Blake Griffin, but I'm almost certain that playing alongside James Harden and Kyrie Irving will help elevate him. Now, this move 
I saw made Brooklyn the favorites over the Lakers for the first time. Um, I think the tweet said that this was the first time all season that the Lakers haven't been favorites to win the title. I don't know if that is reflective of the Blake Griffin signing as much as it is a combination of the Nets getting a little deeper, KD coming back at some point soon, and also Anthony Davis's injury being worse than expected. Um, I think he still has like a week or two until he's reevaluated to see what's going on. But the Lakers, they struggle without AD. It's very apparent. I mean, they're still one of the three best teams in the Western Conference, but it's not so it's it hasn't it hasn't been easy um it's just, it's been very difficult for them they got fucking smacked by utah a couple weeks ago they lost their last two games going into the all-star game they lost to the brooklyn nets like it's been it's been a difficult ride for them without ad and i mean that's that's really expected when you lose someone who is as talented now ultimately my thoughts on blake griffin are that he's not going to make or break this nets team He's on for the minimum. He's a low risk, potentially high reward, but he's not going to be playing crazy minutes. He's not going to be a huge part of the offense. I think he was just, well, he definitely wanted to join the Nets for a shot to win the title. And that's how it goes. I think Blake Griffin looked at the Nets situation and was like, I could be more productive there than maybe with the, um, the Lakers or potentially even going back to the Clippers because the Lakers, as we know, already have pretty much their front court lined out. You got Marcus Gasol, who is, I think he's still hurt, um, Anthony Davis, Montrez Harrell. The point being that a fully healthy Lakers team has fewer minutes to allocate to Blake Griffin. A fully healthy Nets team has significantly more minutes, especially because their situation at center and at power forward is kind of fluid. It's more so running with the hot hand instead of who's more talented because the gap between Nick Claxton and DeAndre Jordan is super tight. Like one is not clearly better than the other. Or let me say this. One is not clearly more consistent than the other. Nick Claxton has had flashes of greatness and I'm fucking super excited for what he's going to do. DeAndre Jordan has had some fantastic outings as well, but neither are proven at this point. Like neither of their spots are safe. Blake Griffin could come in and he very well might be the Nets' best option at this point. You know, if he comes out and even just scores 10 points on 52% shooting, that's a productive That's a productive afternoon, especially if he's only playing 18, 20 minutes. Like, it's not a signing that is super crazy and is going to make the Nets significantly better, but it's also one that isn't so detrimental to them, which I think at this point is better because... In the past, you know, Andre Drummond was connected to the Brooklyn, and I really like Andre Drummond because he's a low-maintenance offensive center and is a fucking monster on the boards and a decent defender. But uh, the Cavs aren't... They're not going to part with him for nothing like the Pistons would with Blake Griffin because, quite frankly, over the last two years, although I don't think that it's been an accurate representation of Blake, in sports you're only as good as your last season. And if your last season stinks, your value is going to reflect that. So him taking the minimum is really just his way of saying, look, I want to win a title. Like he's been to the playoffs multiple times. He's gotten deep in the playoffs a couple times. Like he just finally wants to break through that glass ceiling as I hear, as I punch the fucking 
microphone. But long story short, this isn't going to make or break the season. The Nets are still going to continue fucking dominating. KD's going to come back. The team's going to get even stronger. If Blake Griffin does produce, this team will be a lot more fluid on offense. However, there is the flip side where their defense is still a little suspect. But honestly, at this point, like I'm sure the Nets just sit down and they're like, okay, if we can score 160 points, it doesn't matter how many points we let up because no other team will be able to replicate that. And their strategy has definitely reflected that. The defense is still garbage, but like, I wonder what the cutoff is where the offense is just so fucking potent that defense doesn't even really matter because it has to be approaching that. Like, this collection of talent at their peaks, you're looking at like 115 points between four guys potentially Blake, KD. KD's going to give you 30. Kyrie's going to give you 25. That's 55. Harden's probably going to give you 22, 20 to 22. We'll say 20 just to make the math easy. That's 75. Blake Griffin could give you 15, could give you 15 points if he's playing well in limited minutes. That's 90. And then you get probably 15 more points from Joe Harris, which is 105. And then if you get even like on the lesser end, 20 bench points, you're already at 125 points right? 125? Yeah, something like that. You're already one of the fucking most potent offenses in the league, and that would be you being the worst bench unit in the NBA. Like, I am a little scared that the defense is super trash, but I'm not really, like, scared enough, especially because once Kevin Durant comes back, everything is going to change because I've said it time and time again, this guy is undeniably the best defensive player on the team. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that I even really wanted to talk about, at least NBA-related. Um, one thing that fucking shocked me yesterday was Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys coming to a long-term deal. I was... Uh, Guys, I was not expecting them. Wait, what's this? Allen Robinson, the football player, is tweeting, per sources, Andre Drummond will be signing with the Nets. They got some reinforcement on the defense. They get <laughs> look for them to still be active around the trade deadline, LOL. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm going to retweet that. That's sick. <laughs> Bro. Hey yo. Can we get Allen Robinson a fucking decent quarterback, please? He's on the Bears, right? Yeah, bro. Why the fuck this man Allen Robinson is a walking thousand yard receiver and he's got Mitch Trubisky throwing him the, the fucking football. Can we get like Russ to the Bears, please? Like, what the fuck is going on here? I'm looking at this highlight tape that he just retweeted and the caption is this is from the NFL. Sit back and enjoy Allen Robinson's most insane catches of 2020. You won't regret it. All of these catches are insane because Allen Robinson is so fucking good at his job that he's turning these shitty passes into receptions. Like, look at this fucking guy. This ball, like, these balls are literally behind him in 
Mitch Trubisky is throwing at the back of the defender's helmet. What the fuck is this guy doing? Anyway, back to Dak Prescott. So Dak Prescott and the Cowboys agreed to a long-term deal, which is... I'm shocked. I'm happy that Dak got his money, but I'm definitely shocked. Being a Giants fan, I love to poke fun at the Dallas Cowboys, and I love to shit on Dak Prescott, but the truth of the matter is that this young man is a fantastic quarterback and is someone whom the Dallas Cowboys can build their franchise around. Now, the issue with Dak Prescott isn't his talent. It's the fact that he's coming off a serious ankle injury that I think he suffered in week four or something. Either way, the timeline for this ankle injury is eight to 12 months. It was broken, required surgery, rehab, the whole nine. So last night, Sunday night, it comes out, or Monday night, pardon me, it comes out from Adam Schefter. Quote, the Cowboys are giving Dak a four-year, $160 million deal, including a record $126 million guaranteed. The first three years averaged $42 million per year. This is a fucking massive contract that I'm surprised he got, or I'm surprised the Cowboys gave it to him, knowing that this injury could potentially, like, you know, fuck up the rest of his career. I hope it doesn't happen, but just, like, seeing what happens in the NBA, how someone suffers, someone is afraid to suffer an injury in a contract year because it's gonna, it's gonna fuck up, it's gonna fuck up their earnings. Dak had the chance to get the franchise tag, which was, I think, about 37, 37.7 million. And I'm thinking if I were him, you know, take that money, come back, dominate after the injury, and then ask for more money. Of course, I think he might have played it a little more conservatively. Like, I might as well try to get this fat contract now, because if I come back and I suck, it's done. And the franchise tag only lasts for a year. So this was very... I'm surprised the Cowboys weren't just like, nah, you can you can take the franchise tag and just get on with it. But shout out to him. That was definitely the bigger news on Monday compared to Blake Griffin, but more surprising. Like we had been seeing Blake Griffin potentially going to the Nets for ever since it was announced that he was getting bought out. But yeah, shout out to Dak. I think that was pretty much the only thing that, you know, really happened. At least as far as Sports are concerned. I kind of don't really fucking care about anything else. And you know what? With that, I'm just going to call it. This episode was a little shorter than usual, but that's kind of, um, I guess that's the product of there not really being a lot going on over the weekend. As we know, with no basketball games, there's nothing to really talk about. And, you know, you could talk about what's going to happen over the second half of the season, but I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I am curious to see what happens with COVID and the second half of the NBA season. You know, fans are starting to get back into the arenas. Um, I know in New York, they're at like 10% something, somewhat in that area. Maybe like, I think it's like 2,000, 2,500 people permitted into the Barclays Center and uh, Madison Square Garden. A fair amount of um, arenas have opened up their doors to a limited number of fans, which is the fucking best case scenario for the NBA. Um, you know, they get to bring teams get to bring in some money, even if like I know the Mavericks, they were only inviting vaccinated healthcare professionals, which I thought was a very nice gesture by the organization, even though, you know, it's not bringing any ticket money 
you know, it's just nice to, you know, experience live sports again, which I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And with that, I'm, I'm going to call it here. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Um, any way you could support the show is much appreciated. Twitter, Facebook, uh, not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, following any social platforms, following the, following the podcast on Spotify, leaving it a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, again, really any way that you're able to support the show, I'm really appreciative of, and I'll be sure to catch you guys in the next one.